Welcome to the original and the best Power Hour with Alex Burr and Dylan Hughes. Hello, and welcome to the first in-season edition of the Alex and Dylan Basketball Power Hour. Dylan Hughes, after a rough start to your Indianapolis Colts this season, our Indianapolis Colts this season, we've clawed, we've clawed back three and four, heading heading to Indianapolis next week, playing our division rivals at this point, the Tennessee Titans. Dylan Hughes, are we making? Are we winning the division this year? Are we going to win the AFC South? Man. If you ask me if if they're going to make the playoffs, it's a much easier question because, like, so Tennessee's secondary is terrible, but everything else about them is pretty good. And Derrick Henry is going to fucking rush for 8,000 yards this season. Um, so I'm, I think I'm going to say no, but if they beat them this weekend – like, if you look at the cold schedule, okay, they basically have four tough games left. I'm, I'm, I'm not considering the Raiders a tough game. I think they're pretty much on the same level as the Colts. But so they play Tennessee, they play Buffalo, they play Tampa Bay, and they play Arizona. If you win two of those games, if you look at the schedule, there's basically like five locks, uh, or maybe it's four. So – you know, I think getting into the playoffs, I don't think it's going to be that big a deal because apparently the Kansas City Chiefs are um, quarterbacked by Alex Smith again. Uh, so they're they're not much of a threat right now. And, you know, like there's some things opening up. The Colts are getting healthier. Carson Wentz is, thank God, who we thought he was going to be. Um, so I don't know. I'm I'm I would say I'm cautiously optimistic because. I don't want to absolutely spill my heart onto the floor because as we discussed the other night at the Pacers game, we attended together. Um, we should have done a live pod from there, even though it would have been horrible sound quality considering we could barely hear each other. But, you know, as I said, Colts games are just, they kill me because the Pacers or the Reds, there's a million games in the season, losing one game, whatever. The Colts, you lose one or two games, it's like, shit, that's like 5% of the season. You know, like they got to win next week. So I am, I've been a little bit of a, a stress, uh, stressful boy this, this season. And uh, this weekend is, it's going to be a test for me. So the good news about our schedule is that we have, you brought up the hard games. We also have the Jets, the Jaguars twice, the Texans. And the Patriots should probably be a win for us. They might beat us because their defense is legit. But I think that we have a real shot of going at least, I think nine and eight is the realistic outcome for this Colts team. And I'm nervous because saying that, I might have just jinxed them into a season ending 10 game winning streak. (laughs) You know, who's to say? But I think nine and eight, you know, if you come out of this season nine and eight with everything bad that happened, you are being like, you know what? I'll take it. I'll take it. And it's sad that the Colts are the team now on Thursday night football playing the Jets. Like, I didn't think we'd ever get here. 
you know, Thursday night football is reserved for the shitty teams. And I, I'm a little insulted, frankly. You know, I would usually agree with that, but Thursday night football has actually been pretty good this season. Like they've been reserving the bad games for London, which I think is, that's a fair, I mean, we, we just kill the UK, man. Like as soon as we beat them in the war, we have bitch slapped them for hundreds of years. Like we send them our worst football teams. Like we, we don't really do much for them. Like most, most, if we ever compete against them in sports, whether it's the Olympics or golf or tennis, like we're beating their ass. We send them, you know, the dolphins versus uh, Jacksonville. Like those are the games they get. They get, they get the jets versus Atlanta you know, that should be a war crime, sending them the Dolphins and the Jaguars. Hey, you know, I will say, though, they they love it. I think they would go cheer for, um, you know, insert two terrible college football teams like they'll they'll take anything they can get. They're they're sick of soccer, which I can't blame them for. Um, and outside of soccer, I mean, what do they what do they do? Like, I really don't know. I mean, they're a small country. Like, I think one of the underrated things about the UK is, is that they're a fucking tiny country. So, um, anything else to add? I think let's, let's just go ahead and move on because I kind of want to get to our teams for the week and our wheel. But before I do that, Dylan, um, I told you this before the show. I have a little bit of a somber announcement to make. Um, the Running Hook family is getting a little smaller today. Not a little smaller because they're still in the family. But Triple Option Pass is going to go on indefinite hiatus. <laughs> Um, both of the guys are really busy with their jobs and as much as they'd like to participate with us, you know, some things just, you know, it's, they say through God, all things are possible, but through God, some things aren't possible and (laughs) probably not the best joke to fit in there, but I tried. Um, I think that, you know, I really appreciated their contributions from what they gave us. And they know that whenever they're ready to start recording triple option passes again, that they are more than welcome back. But, um, for now, it's a somber, you know, have a good indefinite hiatus from me. And I think that, you know, like I said, they're still part of the family, but we're not going to be getting any new triple option passes for a while, unfortunately. And that's okay. These guys have lives. They did a lot of work, you know, trying to maneuver between their jobs. So with that out of the way, there's no easy way to transition on from this because I love both of those guys. Shout out to Devin. Shout out to Ryan. Love you guys. You got, like I said, still part of the family, but um, this is just part of doing business. So, all right, Dylan, it's time for the wheel. Sorry. Sorry for the awkward transition, but there's no easy way to transition out of that. So let's go spin the wheel. Who do you want with your first wheel spin, Dylan? Ooh, you know, this was an interesting week. I've been watching as many games as possible. Um, and of course I fell short still, but there were some teams I didn't watch. I, I will say I'm fascinated to watch Minnesota because we had some expectations for them. I'm excited to watch the bowls, obviously um, off to their best start ever. You know, I mean, I'll get excited about pretty much anyone. So I'll, I'll take it. I'll take whatever we get. What if I told you that I asked you that question to filibuster and while you were filibustering, one of the teams you named is what the wheel landed on. 
I'm hoping it's the Chicago Bulls. You are correct. It is the Chicago Bulls, our first team for this week. I mean, let's face it. Now, they did get some a little bit of unfortunate news today. Zach Levine tore his ligament in his left hand. So he's going to try to play through it, but it doesn't seem like he's going to do... Like, he'll probably take a, like a slight dip down, but their offense has been electric so far, so I'm excited to watch that. And Dylan Hughes, our second team, is the Golden State Warriors. So how are you liking the Warriors selection there? They're 4-0, best team in the league right now. I mean, I'm pretty happy. Um, I wish, you know, Clay was back, but Jordan Poole's been going off a little bit, um, which, you know, we we gave him a little bit of praise in, the, in our uh, preseason kind of pod on uh, the West, so... I'm excited to see what's what's going on there and, uh, you know, never going to complain about watching Steph Curry. I totally get that. I'm very excited to watch them. I caught a few couple of their games um, <laughs> while you were talking there, Dylan. I agree with everything you said. I'm really excited to watch them. I wish we got clay. I spun the wheel for the bad teams and I'm sorry. We got the Orlando Magic. Oof. Would you like to toss this one back? So we could toss them back until they get Isaac back. You know, yeah, I think that's a good call. All right. I mean, no disrespect to the Magic because Isaac is a fun player and we just want to see him, what the team looks like with him. So, oh, would you look at that? We got a team we've both been jonesing to watch and a team I forgot I threw on this wheel. The Sacramento Kings. There we go. Two years better. Two years in a row, we did the Kings in the second week, I believe. So Yes, that is correct. <laughs> this time, not by choice. But <laughs> so our teams for the next week are the Bulls, Warriors, and Kings. I'm actually really excited for this. Another year where we're stacking the Western Conference early. Somehow, this time, again, not by choice. Um, in case you needed a reminder, our teams for this week were the Spurs, the Jazz and the Celtics. We'll be talking about them in that order. Let's go ahead and start with the Spurs. So they are right now one and three, good for 14th in the Western Conference. It's the first week of the season. The standings don't matter. Um, but I'm going to say them anyway, just so we have a nice point of reference when we come back. So the Spurs this week, they had a pretty interesting schedule, I'd say. They played a lot of good teams. They destroyed the magic who we threw back last Wednesday, 123 to 97. They then lost their next three games. They lost one, 102 to 96 to Denver. They lost 121 to 111 to Milwaukee. And then last night they lost 125 to 121 to Dylan Hughes's Los Angeles Lakers. Um, So this team is a lot different from last year, obviously no DeMar DeRozan, no Patty Mills, no Rudy Gay. But what's been the biggest thing that stood out to you, Dylan, when you've been watching the Spurs? Well, I will say, you know, we always say not to doubt Pop. And we did doubt Pop. We considered this team to be one of the worst in the league. And they were spun on our wheel as one of the terrible teams because we have to designate a terrible team every week. And this was our terrible team. I will say that... I still think they will probably be one of the worst teams in the West, but they have been hanging in. So they lose last night in OT to the LeBronless Lakers by four. But this is a team that sells Russell Westbrook, Anthony Davis. I mean, this is not some scrub group. You know, Malik Monk is having some good games. 
Um, Austin Reeves is like, you know, I, I hate liking people on the Lakers, but man, like this kid is like 17 years old. He, he played in a high school game just uh, last week and he's, you know, just jumping onto the court for the, for the Lakers and he's putting up, you know, some numbers. So they've, they've got some good players without LeBron, but I mean, this, they're, they're, um, what's the word? They're spunky. The Spurs team is spunky. I mean, arguably the best guard group in the league. It's at least up there. I mean, every guard they throw on the floor is really good. The guy that I really want to talk about is Lonnie Walker. Okay. So Lonnie Walker didn't get extended, right? So he's going to be a restricted free agent at the end of the season. This team is ripe to sell at the deadline with Doug McDermott and bad young. Those are two guys that good teams are going to want. And, you know, you're better at this than me than just coming up with teams on the top of your head. But, you know, the Spurs drafted Josh Primo, who hasn't really even played yet. And that's a guy that, like, again, they have a ton of guards. They've got to get rid of somebody at some point. And if they don't want to pay Lonnie Walker, attaching Lonnie Walker to one of those two guys, I think would be a really interesting trade haul for either a contender or like a faux contender, meaning like a team that, thinks they're good, but it's not really that good, but they're going to make a playoff run. Like I'm interested to watch that. And maybe, maybe those guys get sold on their own, but attaching Walker to either of those guys, I think would be really appealing for a contender. I think so too. I like that idea. I mean, Lonnie Walker, whenever I've watched the Spurs, he is like the definition of boomer bust, right? Like there'll be games there was that game a few years ago in Houston where he basically swung the game. Like he scored like 37 points. He blocked James Harden like once or twice. Like, and that was obviously a while ago, but he's been doing this since he got in the league where he has like elongated stretches of like just doing wild shit and then not, you know, the next couple of games just doing nothing. I, this start to the season for him, again, it's only been four games, so we don't have a lot to work with here. A lot of small sample size theater here that we might be taking back the next time we do these teams. But, I mean, just looking at his basketball reference stats, the shooting efficiencies, 46, 38, and then 87 from the foul line, although he's only gotten to the line eight times total. <laughs> so that's my, that might be not the best indicator right there. But he's shooting 6.53s a game, and he's making 38% of them. On this Spurs team, that's encouraging. You're basically – we saw what happened with Davis Bertans the year before he left San Antonio and the year after. If he's shooting 6.53s in San Antonio, imagine how many he'd shoot in Charlotte. Imagine how many he'd shoot in, like, a normal NBA team. So if they don't want to keep him, that's fine. They kind of have a log jam at guard anyway. He's not the guy I would get rid of. If I was going to get rid of any of these guys, I'd get rid of Derek White. I think I'd throw him in that group of players who, like you said with Doug McDermott and Thad Young, there's only a three-year age gap between Doug McDermott and Derek White. Did you know that? (laughs) I did not. (laughs) Yeah. So he is not like in the same age as those young guys, Keldon is 22, Lonnie is 23, Fasel is 21, Primo is only 19. I think he just turned 19 pretty recently. So, in DeJounte is 25, and I think that he makes more sense with the young guys than Derek White does. 
I think Derek White is just a guy that, again, for this team, it just doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Like, you're trying to either you need... Here's the thing with the Spurs. Actually, I'll use this to make my point. You can't have it both ways. We've had this discussion. You know, you can't try to be a playing contender while also trying to develop young guys. If they want to be a playing contender, you trade Lonnie Walker for something better. If you want to be a a first seed or a first pick contender, you trade Derek White to get you know, picks or young players or something. You could get something for Derek White. That dude is like, I think he's valuable to the right team that gets desperate at the trade deadline. Like, let's just say, let's just say for whatever reason, the Celtics get desperate at the trade deadline (laughs) and they want to offer like Schroeder and whatever. And Romeo Langford, let's say, would you take Romeo Langford for Derek White for this team? Like, what do you have to play for San Antonio? And I think that's kind of my rub with them, but I'm not surprised they're competing on defense. I'm not surprised that Jakob Pertl looks much better with the training camp. And he's looked great. Let's just be real. He's like everything we said bad about him in the second half of last year has been kind of a race. Like he looks a lot better this year. And DeJounte, DeJounte's averaging 15, nine and nine right now. That's bound to go down. But if he can get to like 18, seven and seven, like that's pretty good for him. And he showed a lot of playmaking chops in the Lakers game last night. And I think that I really liked what I saw from him. Like I only watched the fourth quarter and overtime of those games and I watched them separately, but DeJounte was making a really good reads off of the pick and roll. And I think that, you know, the Spurs have something with him, I think. Yeah. I mean, I already forget where I had him in the top 100, but he was, he may have been the only spur I had in that group because I, I mean, as I said, I really think he's a young DeMar DeRozan. That's a better defender and probably a better passer as well. Even though I think DeMar has become a really good passer, but I mean, that's a better defending DeMar DeRozan is a hell of a player. I mean, everyone gets so, you know, fixated on, on shooting nowadays. And again, I understand. And yes, DeJounte is not a great shooter, but he, he is getting better. He's one of those guys that is really good at carving out spots around the foul line. And that's, that's really what DeMar's game has become too. And that's why I think the comparison really sticks with me because they're just good at getting those shots. And DeJounte is just, he's really good on ball too. He's a good cutter. I mean, he, He's like a, a fill in the gap guy almost like I kind of I was thinking about this earlier, actually, who I would take between him and Lonzo, because I kind of see them as similar players. I probably take Lonzo just because the shooting. I think he fits in more situations, but I mean, they're probably similar passing wise. And I would say DeJounte is a better shooter. I mean, a better defender. So, you know, it, it just depends on what you want, I guess. But I mean, he's he's a really fascinating guy. Like when if you put him on a different team with different players, what does he become? Because on this team, he's not necessarily the leader because I think the ball moves around so much. It's kind of hard to figure out like this season. It almost seems like it's Kelton Johnson. I mean, Kelton Johnson has been getting a lot of shots up, um, except last night because he wasn't very good. But in some of those earlier games, like the Milwaukee game, for example, 
like Keldon was getting the ball a bunch and he was scoring a bunch. So he kind of feels like he's the best player on the team, but DeJounte is more important. I think when it matters most. So I I'm, I'm just, that's what interests me about this team is because I almost want to see all these players on different teams uh, because as you mentioned, I don't know where the hell this team is, is wanting to go and where it's actually going to go. Um, and they're going to have to make some moves to figure that out. And yeah, like Derek White, I think is a good trade candidate as well. He's an interesting guy for me because I was just looking at his stats and I'm like, could he be Spencer Dinwiddie? Because Spencer Dinwiddie, like, you know, Spencer Dinwiddie has become a mainstay in the league. But if you look back his early career, he was like a G League guy that kind of had to fight his way onto the Pistons and the Bulls. Like, this was not just like a walk on the court, I'm going to drop 20 points a night kind of guy. Like, he had to work his way into this. And Derek White is a guy that you feel like could make eight threes in a game, but he's never shot above 36%. You know, he, it's just, and maybe that's the environment. I don't know, because the Spurs, you just never know. Doug McDermott can, can obviously still shoot, but a lot of these guys are just like, man, it's just not an environment designed to create a bunch of open looks. And yeah, if you get Derek White in an environment like that where he's playing with a couple of good shot creators, I think he could be really useful. I think so too. And I think, you know, somewhere where he could be a pure point guard, right? We've never seen him have that opportunity. Like DeJounte's ahead of him this year. DeJounte and DeMar and LaMarcus were ahead of him in the pecking order the previous few years. It's just like, I want to see him... And he's had a good couple of like playoff games, like in that Denver series, he was pretty good. But other than that, I don't think he's actually had a chance to play in the playoffs because his rookie year, he hardly played. I'm just curious to see what's going to be his trajectory, even though he's 20, like, again, he's 27 years old. (laughs) He's not a young guy. And I just don't think he fits the timeline of this team. And you could probably get something nice back for him. He's only making 13 million, I think, a year. So I think that you could maybe you package him and Thad and Lonnie. Here's an idea. Maybe they swing for the fences. Maybe they say, hey, Kyrie, you can you're not going to have any problems getting playing unvaccinated in Texas. You're going to be just fine playing unvaccinated down here. And maybe they they throw Derek White and Lonnie and uh, Thad to the to the Spurs. Who's to say, by the way, <laughs> that's Art of it's brought that up the first time, and I thought that's absolutely genius. I'm like, why didn't I? I'm so jealous I didn't think of it first. But let's be real, Dylan. There's two guys who always catch our eye, I think, when we watch the Spurs. That's Keldon Johnson, and that's Devin Vassell. You brought up Keldon earlier, and in that Bucks game, it felt like he was hitting everything. You know, he's hitting floaters, hitting tough layups. I mean, do you think he has, like, what it takes Maybe you'd not be like a first option, but do you think he could grow into being a second option on like a, a contending team? He has the scoring chops for sure. I mean, just watching him and, you know, I love my comparisons. Like I'm trying to think, I was trying to think of who to compare him to and I haven't really figured it out. It actually may be Rudy Gay, just kind of based on his play. So I'll have to watch him more. Um, but he's just so smooth with the ball and he's just got a really strong body, man. Like, I feel like you could throw him out there a running back and he would truck some dudes. Like he's just got a, a really 
developed frame, which is obviously a really good thing. And I don't, you said he was 22. Yeah, he's 22. So 22 to be that developed, I think is a really good sign. A lot of guys like don't really develop until they're like 23, 24. And I mean, you know, the, the three point shot is something that we, you would love to see come along. Um, but at this point it doesn't really matter because he just gets really whatever he wants inside the arc. And I mean, he's just a fun guy to watch. I mean, he's, he's so comfortable with the ball and that's, that's really important. And that's what you need from a guy that could potentially be a lead scorer is someone that feels comfortable with the ball and can get a variety of different shots. And that's what he does. It is what he does. And I like, I just like what I've seen from him. Like he's kind of bouncy. Like he bounces off of guys. Right. And you know what he reminds me of last year, last year's OG and Anobi. Where OG last year, when he was healthy, he was just bounce, dudes were bouncing off of him. He was getting easy buckets because he was just stronger than everybody. And I think that we're seeing that with Kelton this year. Kelton's averaging so far through four games, again, a small sample size, but 18 points a game on 50% from the field. He hasn't made a three yet, which isn't all that shocking, all things considered. He's getting to the line five times a game. Which is very intriguing to me. Like, if he can get to the foul line, you know, more than twice a game, I'm going to be real interested to see his growth as a player because that's just something where this team needs guys who can get to the free throw line. And obviously, you know, we haven't talked at all about the rule changes. The games are flowing a lot better now. They're calling a lot less fouls. But let's see. Free throw attempts for the San Antonio Spurs. They are currently 28th in total free throw attempts. And they are 29th in total makes because they are shooting 65% from the free throw line <laughs> at this current moment in time. It's not helped by uh, Yaka Pertle's. I mean, is that Devin Vassell shooting 25% from the foul line? That's my mistake. Yes. DeJounte shooting 57%. Pertle's only shooting 28% on 1.8 attempts a game. So, <laughs> and I think most of those attempts came last night, but if, it's, if he can cobble it together some free throw attempts and free throw makes for this team, I think that he, like, we always say, what's the most important thing in a scorer? It's being able to get to the line. And if this team has a guy that can get to the line consistently, that's not something I thought I was going to be able to say about them a couple months ago. Yeah, I mean, that that's why when I was talking about DeJounte, I'm like, it feels like Keldon's the best player on this team. And I still think I would say DeJounte is better than him at this point. But Keldon definitely could surpass him. I mean, he, again, he's got those scoring chops. He's like a, he seems like a willing defender, which is, you know, there's, there's obviously defensive talent that's, that's um, useful. <laughs> it's useful to have the, the, you know, the physical talent for it, but to actually want to try and play defense, that that's something that's intriguing. And, you know, that's something I, that I see in him is, is someone that is a willing defender um, you know, maybe not all the time, but you know, when it, when you really need it. And I mean, he's, again, he's just a fun guy to watch. And, and as you said, the, the bounce, the, he just, and that's what I was kind of saying with, with the smoothness is like, he just kind of gets wherever he wants. And, you know, we say the same thing about Zion, but it's like a lot less reckless, not to say Zion's reckless, but he just, Zion moves in a way that no human should move. And I think that's part of the reason why he gets hurt three times a season. Um, but Keldon kind of does that to a lesser degree where 
he's using his strength and speed and, and bounce to get where he wants. And it just looks so effortless. And I mean, 18 points a game, like is a pretty big jump from where he's been in the past. And again, as you said, it's a small sample size. Like we'll see if it sustains, but if you can creep up to 20 points, like in that range, I mean, that's a real, like that's at the point where it's like, man, like this is someone we really need to look out for. And like the field goal district field goal attempt distribution on this team has been, you know, pretty even so far. So the top seven guys, DeJounte obviously has taken the most shots at 18 a game. Keldon second at 14.5. Lonnie Walker is at 12. Derek White's at 11.5. Jakob Pertl's at 10.8, and he's making 72% of those. So, (laughs) again, he's doing – we have to give him credit. Credit where credit's due. He's doing a lot better than he did last year. Again, we'll have to see if it sustains, but he's doing great so far. Vassell's at 10.3. Then McDermott's at 8.5. So, I feel like they're getting the ball spread around a lot, and I feel like they – this team – I feel like at the end of the year – Kelton should be first and DeJounte should be second. I think DeJounte's field goal percentage is at 37. And I really have a hard time seeing it get like too much above 40 if he's the number one option. I feel like DeJounte just isn't the number one option guy. Like even, you know, he just isn't good enough to do that. And I think that he's going to get hounded. He's going to get guarded like the first option. And I think Kelton should take advantage of the fact that he's not going to be guarded like that. Yeah, I mean, that's that's a good point. And yeah, DeJounte, again, I, I think he's he's better next to maybe a different skill set. And that's why the Kyrie thing is interesting to me. I think that could work for everyone because obviously the trade going back to Brooklyn would be awesome for them. They could really use a guy like Thad and, you know, getting a couple shooters alongside that would be great too. But so it's hard to figure out what Kyrie wants, right? But he would undoubtedly be the lead option on this team, which it seems like he is something he wants. I think he's willing to play with Brooklyn and like win a championship. Like obviously he's, he went there with Kevin Durant. Like he can't expect to be the number one guy. Um, But I mean, that's the reason he went to Boston. Like he went to Boston because he wanted to be the number one guy. And I wouldn't be shocked if he's like, you know what? Screw this, you know, screw New York city with the whole vaccine stuff. I'm going to go to Texas where not only do you not need the vaccine, you can own a tiger if you want to. So, I mean, what a, what a great land to inhabit. Um, but from a basketball perspective, I mean, <laughs> from a basketball perspective, he would be the number one option. Um, I'm assuming he respects pop. It seems like pretty much everyone does at this point. So, you know, that would be interesting. I think that would help DeJounte too. Because I do think Kyrie is better as like an off-ball guy. And he could be that with DeJounte. DeJounte would benefit from that too. Um, so as far as this team as a stands goes, though, yeah, I think shifting some of those shots to other players like Keldon would, would benefit him. And, you know, before moving on, I mean, Pirtle, <sighs> I don't want to shit talk AD too much, okay? Because he did have like – what was it? 30 something. And let's see, 35 and 17 last night. But man, like I, he was playing center for a good portion of that game. And Pirtle just ate him alive, man. Like 27 and 14. 
from Yaka Pertle. Like if you're getting eaten alive by Yaka Pertle, there's something wrong there. So I don't want to pour too much gas on the Lakers fire because I'm going to do it all season. (laughs) Well, I don't want to inspire them because obviously someone, Frank Vogel is probably listening to this pod. We've already proven that, that uh, two coaches listen to this pod being Budenholzer and Rick Carlisle. So the, it's clearly getting around the NBA circles. Frank Vogel is going to listen. He's going to say, Hey, this idiot thinks you guys suck. I need you to play better. I just don't want to do that because I don't want them to play better. I want them to suck. So I don't want to pour too much fuel on the fire, but AD at center is like something we've been clamoring for, for years. And not to say, you know, last night was the end all be all for it, but it wasn't a great look for him on defense at least. But yeah, I mean, Pirtle has been great. And I, I guess this would be, a, unless you have anything else to say about Keldon. I mean, Devin Vassell had two assists last night. He had one, half of those assists came to Yaka Pirtle at the end of that game. And it was such a beautiful pass. Like he was coming at the top of the key. He just did like a little, like, I don't know. It was like a two handed side kind of Chuck right down to Pirtle and Pirtle got it. Like it was so beautiful. And we don't, we don't care about Vassell's passing too much, but like we're going to, we're going to gas him up here. And I think that's a good place to start. Yeah. I'm really intrigued by Vassell as a pick and roll ball handler. I think that, you know, he shot a lot coming out of it. Um, I don't have the exact stats in front of me. But just based on what I saw, he was shooting a lot coming out of pick and rolls. But that's what the Spurs need. Like DeJounte, again, this isn't a shit on DeJounte pod, even though it might seem like it. We're both very big fans of his game, just not in this particular situation. Vassell actually gives them like an option of like pulling up from like not anywhere, but he's going to pull it from mid-range. Like he's going to do, you know, like he's going to pull it from mid-range. He might pull it from three. I mean, right now he's shooting 45% from three. Again, small sample size, but five threes a game. Like, he's, that means he shot, what, 23s already? Like, I think that it's a really encouraging sign that he's out there gunning when he has the chance, and Pop is putting the ball in his hands on the bench lineups. Like, I think that's really the thing I'm most excited about is because last year he was just relegated to a 3 and D guy, which is fine. You know, 3 and D guys will get paid eventually but if he becomes a guy who can actually dribble the ball and do something with it then he becomes like 70,000 times more enticing as a prospect because there just aren't a lot of guys who can defend and make plays off the dribble it just doesn't exist a lot and who can make spot up threes if he can do that I think they have a really bright future ahead of them yeah and you know I was thinking about this for Derek White, but I actually think it's better for Vassell is like, what if he becomes Terrence Ross, you know, like Terrence Ross is a guy early on his career. He was kind of inconsistent. Like he was mostly a three point shooter, but he didn't do a ton else. Like obviously he defended the perimeter, but once he got to Orlando, he became really good on the ball. He became really good at making kind of those secondary ball handling plays and I could see Vassell being the same type of guy where he can absolutely be a dead eye shooter for you if you need him to. But if you also need him to make some plays, he can. And I mean, again, he's had eight assists through four games. So um, it's not like the numbers are showing it yet. But the very first game, he did have five assists. And 
coincidentally that came against the magic. And again, last night, two assists, but that one pass to Pirtle, like that's not a, pay, a pass that you just luck into. Cause a lot of, you can get, you can get six assists in a game and not really make any difficult passes. But if you can make a pass like that, and I mean, entry passes are pretty much probably the most important pass you can make in the league is a ball handler, like getting, getting the ball. I would say getting the ball down low to a center um, or just anyone at the, at the rim and then getting uh, a guy wide open for three. Like those are probably the two most important passes to make. And I mean, I think he's, he's really showing that. And yeah, it's going to be interesting to see if pop keeps empowering him. And I don't know how he's going to do it. Cause there's so many cooks in this kitchen. You know, I don't know how, uh, how many ball handling opportunities he's going to get, but if he can, if he can figure it out, it's going to be an interesting experiment to watch. Indeed. Indeed. Anything else to add about the Spurs before we move on to your Utah jazz? Um, I, I do want to say, I, I completely forgot Bryn Forbes was on this team again. Um, and I was thinking, man, I, I have to respect it because he didn't want to be the next Gary Neal. Like he did not want to be the next Gary Neal that fled San Antonio and ends up, you know, playing on literally like the three worst teams in the league. And then he, he goes and no one forgets about him except for me, apparently. Um he didn't want to become Gary Neal. He's like, you know what? I'm going to get my championship. I'm going to go back to San Antonio and live a happy life. So I have to respect uh, Bryn Forbes for that. Is there any basketball podcast in 2021 that has referenced Gary Neal more than you have? Not me. I've never brought him up. You're always the one who just takes a giant shit on Gary Neal. What the hell? This is, this is the podcast. If you want Gary Neal hate and Zaire Smith love. This is the podcast, okay? I would actually, you want to talk about if there's any more podcasts to talk about Gary Neal more than us. If there's any podcast to talk about Gary Neal at all, I mean, I would love to scour the internet and maybe set up an algorithm to detect when Gary Neal is mentioned because it cannot be very often. Yeah, yeah, it would be a waste of time. It'd be a waste. No one's talking about Gary. What are you talking about? <laughs> No one's talking about Gary Neal. Okay, they may not be talking about him, but Bryn Forbes is clearly not wanting to be him. So I get if I call, I can call up Bryn Forbes right now. You know, I have the the Milwaukee connections. I could be like, hey, Bryn, listen, why'd you go back to San Antonio? He's like, I didn't want to be Gary Neal. I watched him do it and he failed. And he he went back to San Antonio. So I don't know what else to say. I would bet you. Bryn Forbes would take a second to need to remember who Gary Neal is. Hell, I took a second. I'm like, I'm like I just thought, oh shit, Gary Neal again. God damn it. But God, I'm I'm moving on before this train derails us even more. All right. The Utah Jazz, they're currently three and out. Good for first in the Western Conference. They have played the Oklahoma City Thunder and won 107 to 86. They played our one of our teams for next week. The Sacramento Kings won 110 to 101. And they played the Denver Nuggets and won 122 to 110. Jokic did go out at halftime, but and it looked kind of bad on the uh, replay angle, but he was he turned out to be fine. I think he'll be back. If he's not back, like in the next game, he'll be back within the next three games, I have to imagine. So um and that's the I did. That's why I didn't do injury news this week because there was really nothing to talk about. This is real, Dylan. This is really the same team 
from last year. They added Jared Butler, but as you know, as you could kind of expect, um, Quinn Snyder's been hesitant to add a rookie to the rotation at the beginning of the season. The two main differences so far are Eric Pascal and Hassan Whiteside. And I'm going to be a neutral Whiteside observer. I don't think it's, I think it's kind of obvious. I'm not a Whiteside fan at all. <laughs> I'm not a fan of the way he plays, but I will put aside my biases, Dylan Hughes, for the podcast. Um, I mean, really, this is like watching the same stuff as last year, right? Like even with Whiteside and Pascal out there, it feels like watching more of the same. Yeah, I was going to say, like, it was just boring watching them. There's there's nothing new. Like, we can talk about the bench additions all you want, but Jared Butler played two minutes last night. Pasco played 14 minutes. He put one shot up. Whiteside, 15 minutes. He was four of six, so that's, you know, something at least. And then it was, it's it's been the Clarkson and Ingles show, like everything else. Like, that's – that's the only part of their team I really care about right now is the bench because this starting lineup is the same. You know, we know all these players at this point. We know that they're good together. We know they're good, not great together, I will say. Um, and, I mean, there's not much to say. Like, I will say last night was kind of an interesting test case for what you've been saying about this Jazz team which is can they defend wings? Because that's ultimately what it's going to come down to. You know, we can talk all about their defense, but Aaron Gordon, 9 of 13, 20 points, 7 rebounds. Will Barton, 9 of 16, 21 points. MPJ was kind of off, but he still had 13 and 9. You know, like that's this is what ultimately matters for them is can they shut down the wings of the Nuggets, the Lakers, and the Clippers? And I've seen nothing thus far that suggests that's going to happen. I mean, that's exactly right. I mean, the only everything you said, I agree with. Um, I will say a comparison I wanted to make. Hassan Whiteside is to the this year's Jazz as Dwight Howard's was the last year's Sixers. Um, He just fouls a lot. (laughs) He's at three point seven fouls a game in sixteen minutes. But he's blocking 1.3 shots. He's getting after the glass. He's grabbing 7.7 rebounds when he's out there. So he at least he's doing something. You know what I mean? He's not. He hasn't been completely worthless yet. And to be fair, Dylan, Rudy Gay hasn't played at all this week. Um, I don't know when he's going to be back. So we haven't seen their big. Like he was by far their biggest offseason addition, and he hasn't played yet. And you know, really, it's kind of we should, probably should have thrown the Jazz back if we'd known Rudy wasn't playing. Because that's literally the only thing they did worth a damn in the offseason. Like, Pascal will probably play, but Pascal was out of the Warriors rotation by the end of last year. Whiteside was out of the Kings rotation by, like, February last year. And need I remind you, being out of the rotation by February last year is like being out of the rotation by December this year. So, Rudy Gay was playing, was one of the best players on the floor in the first playing game in the West, right? Like, obviously, the Lakers-Warriors was the marquee game. Grizzly-Spurs, obviously, not the marquee game. But Rudy Gay had a great game that first game. So, I mean, this team is doing nothing different. I'll say, some of these passes, what I want to talk about with them, that some of the passes Donovan Mitchell is making are insane. <laughs> like, some of the passes he's getting, like, he's getting under the basket, 
and contorting his body where he's literally like he's practically out of bounds and he's throwing he's whipping a pass in the corner for a hockey assist and I don't have hockey assist numbers pulled up I probably should but I feel like he has a lot of hockey assists this year and I feel like they're you know if his passing improves like if his assists take a slight dip but his overall passing gets better I think that's their only way out of the second round that's not defensive improvement yeah, I mean that that's one good thing that comes from not uh making too many changes is that you have that continuity and I think that's been a big part of the improvement. Um obviously Mitchell being a better just player in general and improving on his own like that's going to help. Um but I mean I think you've seen seen it elsewhere too. I mean Gobert has just been eating like every team alive. And part of that, I think, is just because the they're just stronger as a group. And, yeah, I mean, Mitchell obviously being a better passer. And this is something we've talked about for two – this is probably the third season now. We've talked about Mitchell needing to take that next step up as a passer. And we're kind of starting to see it. Like, we've seen flashes. He's still not there every game, but you can definitely tell he's getting better. And that's, that's really intriguing uh, moving forward for him. Yeah, I mean, the three games – it's been four, four, and six in terms of assists. Like, you know, not great, but he's drawing so much attention that hockey assists, it's kind of going to be like the Steph effect, right? Where Draymond was getting so many assists. Now, Draymond's a great passer. Let me make that clear. But in the early days, Draymond's, a lot of Draymond's assists came because of Steph's gravity. And I think Donovan Mitchell is kind of starting to get that same gravity now. I've, again, not the same as Steph. <laughs> Let me clarify that because that's obviously no one's gravity is as good as Steph's is. But Dylan, I think you would agree just based on what we've seen so far, Mitchell's gravity, like they're guarding him with two guys, like 30 feet from the basket. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's what, that's what it was for Trey young. Right. And Trey young is just so naturally gifted as a passer that it was just such an easy transition for him. And that's, that's kind of the interesting dichotomy, I guess, of guards in the NBA or, or just playmakers in general is that they have, to, some of them just have to get used to more attention. Some of them kind of have to work themselves into being able to recognize how to get out of a situation. And I think that's what Mitchell's having to deal with because He's been a good scorer for a long time. He hasn't been a great scorer just because the efficiency, I think, has really been bad at times. But as far as points, like, he has no problem putting points up. But, yeah, like, the, the gravity is a huge impact. And and that's what we talked about Trey Young so much is that he's not – like, his, his real threat is not his shooting, it's his passing. And a lot of the times the shooting leads into being able to make great passes – and that's what I think the next step for Mitchell is, is, you know, being able to take advantage of that gravity and say, I don't really care whether I shoot this ball or not. It, what really matters is what I do after uh, I, you know, get past the defender. Right. And I think he's going to make all NBA this year. The stats right now don't bear it out, but the way he looks on the floor I think just he's going to like, they're going to win 55 games. Probably. I feel like 
you know, regular season, we've never doubted this team. They're going to win like 55 games. He's going to be, he's going to average like 30 points a game. And then not 30, he'll average like 25 and like maybe six. Right. And then he'll get like third team all NBA and he'll deserve it. He probably deserved, he probably should have made all NBA team last year. And I think we talked about that at the Pacers game where we, we both agreed. We probably snubbed him. Right. He missed the last 10 games of the year. So, you know, we had a little bit of an excuse, but he still played 60 games last year. You know, and we had I had guys on my first team all NBA that played 50 games. So I, you know, maybe I took it that a little too far, but. Man, Mitchell's special, and I think that, you know. They're not going to get better defensively. It's just not possible unless Dylan, unless they play our guy, our guy, Jared Butler. I I understand that Snyder, you know, they have a veteran group here and they don't want to mess up whatever chemistry they may have. But isn't like based on what we saw from, in Jared Butler at Baylor last year, I feel like he fits this team perfectly. He can hit threes. He plays defense. He can handle a little bit. You throw him next to a guy like Clarkson. He's going to cover for a lot of Clarkson's holes. Yeah, I think we were both kind of excited to see Butler go there because it was just clear that Clarkson could not do it all for this bench unit. And he last year was literally their only creator basically. Cause I mean, at times like Ingles had to step into the starting lineup and it was just, and even, I mean, I'm not going to say like Ingles, I don't think is a great shot creator for himself. That's kind of the difference between him and Clarkson is Clarkson is a much better creator of shots for himself which is good for the team. Like it, it, you know, I think he's maybe been dubbed kind of like a selfish ball hog type of guy in the past. Um, but this team needs him to be that guy. So that's, that's a good thing, but they don't, they just didn't have a ton else. Like when you were relying on Joe Ingles to run your offense, it's just not going to work out. It, like Joe Ingles is a great second or third guy. Like if you've got other good players out there, but without Clarkson, that bench would be a disaster. And Butler fixes a lot of that because, first of all, he's just a good defender. And he, like, you don't have to play Mitchell and Conley with Clarkson because that's kind of what they had to do last year because they just didn't have any other options. Like, they had to have one of those guys out there basically at all times. And if you're in the playoffs, you know, that's fine, I guess. I still don't know how sustainable it would be if you make a deep run. But... I mean, Butler is a, is a great um, defender, and I do think that he has some good on-ball chops too. Like, when I was watching him, and I threw this out in our group chat, and it was pretty harshly shut down, but I still like to think I'm, I'm better at making comparisons than most people, so I don't care what people have to say, but I just kind of see him as like a mini TJ Warren. Like, just the play style and kind of the way that he – moves with the ball like tj warren is kind of like a quick dribble dribble pop kind of guy and jared butler is 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 like that a lot of times especially last year playing with with davion mitchell i mean it was pretty easy to just kind of take a few dribbles and pop up into a shot real quick and i think that's that would that's like a perfect kind of guy for this team someone that's not going to take the ball too much but if you need him to he can create shots as well and obviously, as you said, he can hit um, three-pointers as well. So I would love to see him thrown out there more. 
I mean, to be fair, he did get two fouls in two minutes yesterday, so that's why he didn't really survive. Um, and ultimately, he's a rookie. But hopefully throughout the season, uh, Snyder gives him some more run. I agree. And as someone who, you know, not to show off my, my bona fides here, per se, but I did uh, – I didn't have a front row seat to both of their ass kickings against Houston and Gonzaga respectively. And um, all I'll say is Jared Butler should be playing. Like he would have been a first round pick if it wasn't for the medical condition. Like all it took was watching him and Davion one time to be like, okay, these dudes are, (laughs) and Davion Mitchell, I'd seen him on TV before, but watching him in person, we're going to, I'm so excited to talk about him next week, but and he played really good defense on Donovan Mitchell, by the way. So I think that's, uh, you know, that was cool. Um, I don't think we really have anything else to say about the Jazz. And no offense, Jazz fans, you're literally just exactly the same as you were last year. And we like talk. I liked watching them play last year, and I think I'll like watching them play in the regular season again. But we'll save our big picture questions for the next time we do the Jazz. Um, the Boston Celtics, they are currently two and two good for 10th in the Eastern conference. They had an interesting week. Um, they lost to the Knicks 134 to 138 in a double overtime game. They lost to the Toronto Raptors 115 to 83 in a game that got away from them real quick. <laughs> they not real quick in the third quarter, they were down by 20 and then I turned it off and the lead obviously ballooned from there. Um, they beat Houston 107 and 97. And then in one of the, I'd say they've played the two most entertaining games of the season so far between their game against New York and this game against Charlotte. They beat Charlotte 140 to 129 in overtime. And Tatum and Brown have separately had like big games. Game one, um, Brown had 46 points. Game two, neither of them really popped off. Game three, Tatum had a big game. Tatum had uh, 31 points. Game four, they each kind of went off. Um, Tatum had 41 and Brown had 30. Schroeder had like 23 in that game. They had a really all around good team game. But what's been the biggest? This team changed a lot from the offseason, obviously. They changed coaches in Ime Udoka. Um, too early to judge his performance. Their team is basically entirely different. What have you liked from the Celtics so far? So, first of all, as with the NBA top 100, we talked about Tatum a lot. We talked about Tatum kind of being potentially the best player in the league at one point in the next few years, maybe. And I still think that's true. I like 41 points in that Charlotte game. He was massive, um, especially in the end. Eight assists. I mean, he made a couple of huge passes in, in the later in the game. Like he, he's definitely getting better as a passer, which is a really good sign. But, man, Jalen Brown is taking a massive step. I mean, it's early, okay? Like, I let's not, you know, get crazy here. But, like, 46 and 30. And, yes, in between that, he only had nine points. But, man, like, he just looks so good. And this is a guy that has basically made, like, incremental improvements every season. Aside from his third season, he took a little step down, like, points-wise. But... I mean, the past three years, so 2019-20, 20 a game, six rebounds, two assists. Last year, 24.7, six rebounds, 3.4 assists. Right now, 28, seven, and three. And he just looks so good on ball, man. 
his ball handling has improved so much over the years because I think when he was younger, he was more of like a straight line dribbler where if he's got clear space, it looks fine. Like he he's dribbling fine, but could he really, you know, create space for himself with the ball? I don't know. But right now he is, he's up there with pretty much every wing in the league at this point. Like he is, is just so good with the ball. He's so good on defense. Like he's not going to add probably, I'm going to say probably not average 28 this whole season, but he, he looks like he's capable of taking a leap because he has just been awesome this year. I don't know how he's done it. He's literally gotten better every single year he's been in the NBA. Like he's taken one kind of step forward every single year. And it, at this point, it's like, what is there left to improve? I would say the passing is the biggest thing from him. But even then, he doesn't need to distribute on this team. His role isn't to be a distributor. His role is to be a scorer, a defender. And he's doing those well. I mean, the box score from this Charlotte game. So 30 points, nine rebounds, three offensive, three steals, one block, right? He did a good job of just making his presence felt. And let's be real here. He had like five points in like the last couple of minutes. He wasn't really, Tatum was the one who was, not glory hogging per se. I don't want to make it seem like Tatum was, you know, taking all the shine for himself, but Tatum was the one who was going off in this game for the most part in regulation Tatum. So let's see. I love this thing about the um, box score. So Tatum had 39 points in regulation. He only had two in overtime. Brown had five. Like I said, he had that massive dunk on miles bridges, which, whew. and then he, um, he had a huge corner three at one point. And then um, Schroeder, who I really want to talk about, I think he is going to get like everything he wanted to get out of Boston. He's going to get, I re- like, I think one of the complaints two we had two complaints about last year's Boston team. They didn't get to the rim ever. This team relied a hell of a lot on jump shots and they never moved the ball. And so, okay. Last the Charlotte game. Let's just keep going back to that. 33 assists on 50 field goals. Not exactly the ratio you want, per se. Actually, it's a pretty good ratio, all things considered. But, you know, probably with, like, a little bit more of that assisted. But I feel like Schroeder gives this element, this team, an element of, like, getting to the rim that they just didn't have before. And I think that he gets to the rim. He drew eight. He had eight foul shots against Charlotte. Tatum had seven, which is big for him. If he can ever get to the foul line, he's that's when he'll be a top five player. That's like his only hole right now, basically. Schroeder getting to the rim for them is huge because there's no one else on this team that is like so single-mindedly focused on getting to the rim like that. And I think that having that element for this team, I think makes them a lot more dangerous in, you know, April and May than I think they would have been without him. Yeah, I mean, he was a... He was the guy in this offseason where I'm like, man, Boston just lucked the hell out. To get Dennis Schroeder for the cheap, I mean, you know, recency bias is like, oh, Schroeder maybe wasn't that good for the Lakers last year. But this guy was awesome for Oklahoma City. Like, there's a reason that the Lakers traded for him. And, I mean, he still ultimately did good things there, but – I just, 
I, I was really, and I, and I don't like Boston necessarily from like a, um, a, uh, subjective standpoint, but just from a team building perspective, like I really like that addition for them because gosh, it's just been a turnstile at point guard for them. Like they just haven't been able to lock down a guy ever since like Isaiah Thomas and now, and, and Schroeder is probably going to leave after the season two. Um, but he really filled a hole for them, as you said, with getting to the rim and the beginning of that Charlotte game, like their offense wasn't really doing much outside of Schroeder. Like early on in that game, he was the guy that was really getting the offense going for them. And just as an aside, by the way, LaMelo was insane in this game. I mean, I, I need to look at how many points he ended up with, but he was just knocking so many threes down. He had 25, 7 of 14 from three. I mean, he's just a lunatic. But, I mean, Schroeder was great, and he gives them an, an edge on defense too, which I think is going to help them. Their defense has actually not been very good to this point. Again, very small sample size. This team has some of – like, man, do they have the like? Do they have the best defensive talent in the league? I mean, it's it's got to be up there. I don't know if they're going to be the best defense, obviously, but there is a lot of a defensive talent on this team. I mean, I would say so. I mean, Horford didn't even play in the Charlotte. We didn't see Horford in their two overtime games, which I think explains a lot. Horford gives them a different element on offense and defense. Um, I think that. You're right. Most defensive talent in the league because let's just look at some of the guys they can throw out there. So Schroeder, and you brought up the Lakers last year. When AD and LeBron were both hurt, Schroeder kept that team afloat. And they were, he was averaging 18 and 7. That team would not have even gotten to the seventh seat without Schroeder last year. So I want to make that abundantly clear. He, yes, he sucked in the playoffs. So what? Like, you wouldn't have been there without Schroeder. So I, I find that like a little ridiculous. Um, then you have Grant Williams, who's been playing out of his mind to start the season. I think he's been playing really well on both sides. Um, Josh Richardson is a great defender. He has not been doing so great on offense to start the season, but he's filling his role. You know, if he plays 15 minutes a game, that'll be great for them, right? Peyton Pritchard, really good. We liked him as a defender. And if he's, he's basically a three and D point guard, right? He's basically TJ McConnell with a three. <laughs> And not as good on defense. <laughs> I think that's kind of a fair comparison for Mr. Pritchard. But yeah, and then Wancho, I think is a good defender. He's hardly even played for them. And I think that, you know, as the season goes along, they'll find the right, you know, lineup alignments. I don't think the starting five that they had in the two in-between games with Williams and Horford and Smart, Tatum and Brown, I don't think that's going to work. <laughs> I think their best bet is to stagger heavily and do Schroeder smart and then Brown and Tatum and Williams. I think that's their best bet for a starting five. That'll win them a lot of games. And Horford can be, you know, kind of the playmaking presence. You pair him with, you know, Richardson, or you pair him with Schroeder and then you run pick and rolls incessantly, or, you know, you pair him with Tatum or Brown. I think that first of all, this Celtics team is just a small, right? Like all the guys they're playing, are just tiny. Like Wancho and Tatum are the two biggest players pretty much <laughs> that are getting regular minutes. Rob Williams is six, eight Horford 
is 6'9", but no one's ever been... Like, Horford is one of the most deceiving 6'9s in the history of the league. And, you know, I love him because he's been one of the best, better players of the 2010s. But he just plays a lot smaller than he actually is, for better or for worse. And I think this year it'll be a lot more for worse than it is for better. But this team, I think, is going to get killed on the glass. Let's see. I'm going to see how many offensive rebounds a game... (laughs) They allow. So let's see. Uh, opponents' offensive rebounds. Actually, it's a lot better than I thought it was going to be. Only 12 per game. So, oh, sorry. That's the Jazz. <laughs> that makes a lot more sense for the Jazz. Let's see. Opponents' offensive rebounds. There we go. 11.8 a game. And that's good for 25th. So I think that they're going to get killed on the offensive glass. I think they're going to get killed on the defensive glass. They need to gang rebound, which is going to take away one of their biggest advantages, which is transition. This team is electrifying when they get in transition. The problem is, is they can't, they need to get (laughs) Tatum and Brown on the boards, which will take them away from transition. I don't know, Dylan, does this team size? Let me just ask that. Does this team size concern you? Yeah, it does. I mean, I want, I do want to say that I love Rob Williams I mean, I think he's kind of catapulted up to like Richon Holmes territory for me. I mean, I think I think Rashawn is better, but Rob is like he's very dynamic on both sides. I mean, he's definitely small at the rim, but he still blocks a ton of shots, which as we've talked about in the past, you know, shot blocking can be deceiving. I mean, you could block eight shots a game, but like how many points are you giving up in between all those blocks, you know? And when you're smaller, like I'm fascinated to see when this team plays Milwaukee or Philly or Denver. I mean, they it's going to be a struggle. And against Charlotte, when you're playing against Mason Plumley, you know, it's not going to be that bad. But there was a they had a backup center, uh, Richards, that like had a kind of a nice run when he came in. Like that's kind of an example of their size issue. And yes, like Horford was out in this game. So having some random bench center come in and like have a nice little three or four minute run is not that surprising, but you know, from an offensive perspective, I do really like Rob Williams. I mean, he had 12, 16 and four in this game. Like he's a good passer too, uh, which is really nice for this, for this lineup because I mean, pretty much everyone in the starting lineup is like talented offensively. So he's a good fit for them on offense. And that's why they could put up, you know, 140 yesterday. And it helped that Jabari Parker was just deciding that he was, uh, I guess he was, you know, happy to be back in North Carolina or something. Uh, I don't know how close Charlotte is to Duke, but I mean, he, he obviously felt at home there. So I do think they're undersized. And I also, I agree that Horford at the four is not the answer. Cause I mean, th- that was the problem in Philly. Like him at the four, and maybe that was just because it was Embiid and Simmons was there too. I don't know. But it just didn't work having him at the four. And I don't really have any reason to believe it's going to be the same on this team because I think we talked about this in the Pacers game the other night that the the good thing about Rob Williams is he's good at defending the perimeter. The bad thing about Rob Williams is that he's good at defending the perimeter because – if he's pulled away from the rim, like you're leaving a huge hole. And even if you have Horford out there, 
he's not blocking shots. Like he's, as you mentioned, he just plays too small. And that was the Celtics problem when he was there starting at center a few years ago too. They just didn't have the size. And that's why Boston was trying to get Anthony Davis for years. This is why, you know, there's been rumors for miles Turner, even though they didn't end up trading for him. Like we, that's why they got Tristan Thompson. Like they're always going after bigs because they continue to need help from there. And as much as I love Rob Williams, he doesn't really fix that size problem. Yeah, I would agree. I mean, I'm going back and looking at the Knicks game. Um, Mitchell Robinson, 17 rebounds, five offensive. Like, you can't be giving up five offensive rebounds to the team center. Let's check the next game they played against the Raptors. See, offensive rebounds. OG had three. Scotty Barnes had six. (laughs) Um, by the way, one of my favorite rookies so far, unsurprising, I know. I'm a Raptors homer. Fred Van Vliet had two. The whole Raptors starting five had 14 offensive rebounds. Not good. Ken Birch had four off the bench. Boucher had two off the bench. So that game they kicked their ass. I'm sure Grayson would. I don't, you know, go detailing every box score. They did a better job curtailing the offensive glass against Houston, but Houston shoots a lot of threes. Like Houston shot 32 threes. <laughs> You know, not surprising given the talent they have. And they made 14 of them. So not a whole lot of offensive glass opportunities for them there. Let's see how Charlotte did. Let's see how Charlotte did on Monday night because I bet you they did well on the offensive glass too. So Charlotte grabbed 14 offensive rebounds. Um, Oubre with two, Bridges with two, Hayward and Plumlee with three each. Like, they just give up a shit ton of offensive rebounds. And, I like, rebounding is one of the most elemental – it's one of the most elemental things in the sport. I don't care what people say. There are a lot of people that are like, oh, individual rebounding is overrated. Sure, Reggie Evans grabbing like 13 rebounds a game. Yeah, I can get with that. But like team rebounding, that is very important. It's how you end a possession. You give them another 14 seconds on the shot clock. And oh, it's like, oh, you it's a reduced shot clock. I don't care. Like NBA players, NBA players, they're going to score more often than not more often, but they're going to score as often as they don't. Like they're just that talented if you give them another shot. And I think that the Celtics really need to get better at gang rebounding because otherwise they're screwed. <laughs> yeah. And that's what, that's what kind of sucks about this team because man, like, as I said, on offense, it works so well and it's tough to make changes when it's working so well on the offensive side of the floor. Cause ultimately that's what we care about. Right. We like seeing a team put up 140. But when they give up 129, it's like, you know, you may win this game, but the next game, you may not be able to put up those same points. And that's why they always say defense wins championships, because, you know, you may not be able to to score. You may not be able to outscore the other team every night if your defense is kind of inconsistent, gives up a bunch of three pointers or whatever. And if you're giving up a bunch of rebounds, that's just more opportunities for them to score. So. If you can't grab the ball, you have less chances to score and they have more. I mean, it's it really that's what it comes down to. And I mean, they have guys, you know, on this team that can get rebounds like Jalen Brown got nine. Uh, Tatum got seven. Like, again, Robert Williams had a big game, too. But there's a difference between, you know, just getting a bunch of loose random rebounds and actually fighting for those important rebounds because I mean I don't know what the actual number is but there's a lot of close games where five to ten rebounds can swing the game and if you don't have the size to be able to fight for those rebounds you're going to lose a lot of those games exactly and 
I'm looking at cleaning the glass right now. Our favorite stat. Small sample size theater to be sure. But what percentage of the um, opponent's misses did the opponent rebound on defense? And that is 26.5%. They do not. And that's good for 23rd in the league. <laughs> it's not great. They need to be better. And I don't, I don't see any way for them to be better unless they just, you know, they, their half court offense is going to be great. I don't see any way that it won't be like they have too many weapons. They have too much shooting. Here's my question for you, Dylan. And I think we can add more stuff about the Celtics later. It's going to like kind of a Celtics topic change. How have you liked Marcus smart so far this year? I think he's looked a lot better than he did last year on defense. I think he's pretty much back to where he was before he got cooked by LaMelo a couple of times, but that's kind of to be expected. You know, LaMelo's up there with like some of the best players in the game at this point already, which is crazy to say, but um, yeah. How have you liked what you've seen from Marcus smart so far? Yeah. I, I don't think Charlotte was the best necessarily judge of his place right now because Kelly Oubre also had a pretty big game. And I forget, I don't know how much he was really on Oubre, but I mean, Charlotte had a good game. Like it was just, it wasn't a great defensive game from them as a whole, but I mean, I do think he looks a lot better. Um, He's, I mean, he's just a guy that's, especially with the team around him right now, he's going to have to fit in, right? Like he's going to have to make those kind of hustle plays that he's always made. I mean, I think the numbers that are more like you could talk about the fact that he was three of 12, or whatever, but he had five assists and three steals and a block. You know, I think those are the numbers you really need to care about more for smart is how can he fill the gaps? Is he making his presence known on defense? Is he making good passes? And the answer to that is yes. I mean, last year was just a weird year for the Celtics. Like it was, man, the worst season they've had in a long time. And yeah, Marcus smart was definitely a part of that. Um, So I think it was just kind of a down year for the team and there was just COVID stuff. Like I think last year was kind of like a throwaway year for them. I mean, it was just a weird year. Hell, it was a throwaway year for all of us. You know, we're just gonna, we're going to act like that year didn't happen. There was just a lot of craziness and it, I mean, you know, (laughs) there was a pod where I tried to downplay the impact of COVID because not from like a, an asshole standpoint, it was more of like, okay, are we going to give every guy that got COVID like a break? Cause it it felt like it was a little bit of an excuse for some people. Um, Like Russell Westbrook had a bad stretch and all of a sudden it was COVID's fault. It's like, I don't think that's a reach because he was playing pretty well before, but Tatum was like, he had a um, inhaler on the sideline, you know, so to act like he wasn't impacted, uh, you know, that's wasn't that's not a fair thing to say. And like it's just it was just a weird year for the whole league and the guys that got COVID and Smart was injured too, I think last year a little bit, wasn't he? I think so, yeah. That sounds right. Yeah, so it was just a throwaway year for them, and I think it was a throwaway year for him as well. And I mean, I, I he looks fine to me. Like Again, I don't care if he goes one from nine from three because we know that tomorrow he could go six of nine. You know, like that's just kind of his game. And again, I care more about the passing and the defense. And to me, that looks fine right now. Agreed. Um, Yeah, I think that one thing I will say is I like him better when he's 
as a secondary creator rather than the primary creator. And I think that playing Schroeder in the starting five helps him do that. And I think, you know, maybe staggering him, you get him some minutes as the primary creator when Schroeder's off the floor. But I think that, you know, all in all, he's just, he's too erratic, right? Like you love, you want guys like Marcus Smart on your team because he plays all out. He plays with a fiery intensity, but sometimes he fucks up. And I mean, listen, who, who am I to say that I don't fuck up, right? I fuck up all the time where I'm human, but as a point guard, you generally want someone who's cool, calm and collected. And Marcus plays with the, um, Marcus, I'll say plays with the energy. Like he, he goes all out. He goes balls to the wall and you don't necessarily want that from your point guard, but from a secondary creator, I think it's fine. So if he gets bumped down, like if they figure that out, I think they'll it'll be better. Um, it's too early to talk about matchups, but there's one clear <laughs> top team that they have to try to play. And there's one clear top team they have to try to avoid at all costs if they want to even think about making the conference finals. And Dylan probably knows who I'm talking about in both cases here. <laughs> like, I'll just say it. This team matches up a lot better with the Nets than they do the Bucks. And if they play the Bucks at all, it's a four-game sweep. <laughs> the, the Celtics have nothing for the Bucks, but it's too early. It's too early to be talking about playoff matchups. Um, anything else you would like to add about the Celtics before we wrap up for the day, Dylan? I mean, we gotta we gotta throw Grant Williams a bone. Mm-hmm. I mean, so he shot. I mean, he shot 37% from three last year, which wasn't actually as bad as I thought it was going to be. He was bad his first year, 25%. This year, a very sustainable 58.8%. I mean, I don't, I don't see that coming down anytime soon. Um, he's also averaging 2.3 assists and 0.8 blocks. Um, again, way too early to dive into numbers really, but I really like the way he looks and, I think he's a really important piece of the puzzle for them because, I mean, he's like five foot eight. And is, when we're talking power forwards, like he's tiny, but he's just so skilled. And we've been saying this ever since the draft, whenever that was a couple of years ago. I mean, he he's undersized, yes, but he is so good at everything. I mean, he's a good passer. He's good on defense for like what his size allows. He's a good shooter. He's strong. I mean, he's just a great fit on this team and really any team. And I'm happy that he's having a good start. Cause again, last year, like 4.7 points a game, like, you know, that's, that's a lot, that's a lot lower than you'd like from a guy like that. So I'm, I'm happy that he's off to a good start. Um, Pritchard is, you know, doing Pritchard things. I mean, again, he's, he's TJ McConnell, man. Like he's just fun to watch. Cause he's just a disaster. Like he is just all over the place. He's a maniac and it's really fun to watch. And yeah, like I, I just like the, um, I don't know if I guess the mock, the moxie, I like the moxie of this team. You know, they've, they've got a fun kind of vibe to them. Um, Josh Richardson, I'm a little worried about, I will say he's kind of looked useless out there on offense, um, which scares me because this is kind of like the third team in a row where it's not, what it was in Miami. So we'll see. I'm a little worried from the Josh Richardson fan club over here. I mean, I think he'll be fine. They need to iron out like a concrete role for him, but I think that this will be the most clear 
ineffective use of his skills since he's been in. Now, granted that last year in Miami, he was the best player on the team, which is a problem, <laughs> which is why Miami was picking in the lottery um, that season. I, were they picking in the lottery? That Yeah, they picked uh, Tyler Hero that year. So that's the reason why they were picking in the lottery that year. Um, listen, he's a good, not great player, like president of the good, not great players, if you ask me. I think he'll be fine. They just need to get him acclimated. You know, he's made a good amount of his threes, which is kind of shocking. If he can actually make threes, then, you know, all the other concerns might be a little mitigated. I just think, you know, all he has to do is play defense and cut and he'll be fine. Um, Pritchard, I love Pritchard. I mean, what is there to say? We both had him on our old rookie team last year. And then Grant Williams, I had him on my all rookie team in 2019-20. You did not. You know, I'll never forgive you. Just kidding. That's a <laughs> stupid thing to not forgive somebody over. But yeah, I like him. He's really got really high IQ. I think this whole team is really high IQ. And I, I'm, I think of all three of these teams, I'm really excited to see what this team looks like the next time we do them, because there's a good chance that they're fighting for home court in the East. I feel like, I think that that three through seven race is going to be really tough. And I think that there's a chance the Celtics could get to the third seed if things, you know, if they improve their ways, I'll just be curious to see if they do it. Um, I think that's it for us, Dylan. This is our shortest episode in a while <laughs> since probably the playoffs. Um, so divine rhyme, you guys did a great episode this week on good kid, Matt city. Tell the people how that went. Oh man, it was great. And I listened back to it. Um, both to and fro downtown Indy on Monday night. And it, I mean, I think it, it, it sounded as great as it felt speaking the words, I guess is how a human being would say that. Um, I'm still learning, you know, I've got to download human emotion at times, but it was a, it was, it was a good show, man. I mean, God, like the more I listen to Kendrick, it's like, this dude is just, on another level compared to most of these guys. And that album, I think was a perfect example. And it was fun having Devin boss on there too. He's a, a long time Kendrick fan that gave some good insights. So it was, it was a really good pod. And I will be on with you guys. We're recording next Monday. So that'll be fun. We're recording to Pippa butterfly. I think the most important rap album of the 2010s, I would say maybe not the best, but probably I don't know. One of the most impactful. I don't know how to describe it because it's not my favorite. I'll say that, but I think <laughs> I have some comparisons I'll make. I'll say for the pod, but I just, I love that album. Like it, it leaves me like in a day, like it feels like I got punched by Mike Tyson every time I listen to it. And I mean that in the best possible way. So make sure you check that out. Um, Linsanity. I don't think we're getting a Linsanity this week. Our friend Caleb Lynn had car troubles. So he, I think they're taking this week off. Um, his car is stranded in Bloomington currently, or I think he might just have gotten back to Evansville. So um, shout out to him. I'm glad his car is okay. And glad they found what was wrong with it. Um, so, you know, you'll, you'll have to wait till next week to listen to the insanity, but I think everyone will be fine. You know, um, Circle City Cinema, go check out some old ones. And then, yeah, that's pretty much it for the uh, Running Hook Network. I bought, I will say, the money is in Dylan Hughes's pockets. I still don't know the name. I still got to pick it up from the Amazon locker. I'm a terrible friend, but uh, let's see. <laughs> what is the name of Dylan Hughes's book? Why don't you tell me? And I'll, no pressure, finding happiness in a fear-driven world. There you go. All right, I'm coming back this week. I haven't done it in a while. If you don't buy Dylan Hughes's book, 
I'm going to go to your local, your favorite store, right? I'm going to go, like, if you like shopping at Nordstrom Rack, I'm going to go to Nordstrom Rack. If you like shopping at, you know, like a TV shop, I'm going to go to the TV shop. I'm going to tell him, hey, this guy shoplifts from you all the time, all the time. And he does it. He even moons the camera when he does it. And I think that that will get you banned from your favorite store. So that's what you're going to get. If you don't buy no pressure, finding happiness in a fear driven world, it feels so much better to do these now that I actually have the book, Dylan. How was that one was kind of weak, I feel. But I, I feel like, you know, for the first one in a while, it wasn't so bad. Um, I think it was pretty good because whether they can prove that they're shoplifting or not, they're always going to have an eye on them, you know, and there's just something, you know, having your freedom of, of being able to roam freely in a store, having that taken away, it would be really troubling. Like I'm just thinking in, in, in my leisurely strolls through stores, I, I don't like to have a lot of eyeballs on me. You know, you don't know what I'm looking at. It could be some, some crazy stuff. I don't need to have that broadcast to anyone. So having that privacy taken away, it would be tough. So I, I think it was, uh, I think that's a good one. I appreciate your words of affirmation, Dylan. That's everything for us. Um, Dylan is great, great episode as always. Um, our teams are next week. And just in case you need a reminder from the, cause that happened at the beginning of the episode, bulls, warriors, kings, I cannot wait. This is going to be a fun week of basketball for us, Dylan Hughes. And once again, Thank you so much for joining me. Thank you. Welcome to the original and the best power hour with Alex Burr and Dylan Hughes, members and podcast of the Running Hook Podcast Network.